Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's the half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. And after a few weeks of not a lot of news going on, we've got a ton of news here for you tonight on Talking in Circles. First, we're going to talk about the all-star format, a new format, new rules, restrictor plates coming to Charlotte Motor Speedway for the all-star race. We're going to talk about that. Plus, Alan Gustafson, the crew chief for Chase Elliott's number nine Chevrolet, has been suspended for two races, has been fined, and the team will lose 20 driver and owner points. That's 45 points of penalty this year for that number nine team. We're going to discuss that and what that might mean for them. Uh, Gustafson out for Bristol and Richmond. We're going to talk about that. Plus, Monster Energy. They've announced they will extend their partnership with NASCAR through the 2019 season, the 2019 season. But it is highly unlikely, quote-unquote, that the deal will extend past that season. NASCAR announced it will look at a different sponsorship model for 2020 and beyond. We're going to discuss that as well. And we'll take your phone calls and preview the Food City 500 at Bristol Motor Speedway. So a busy night tonight of Talking in Circles. Let's get right down to it. Uh, John, NASCAR announced the all-star, new all-star format. They're going to have bigger spoilers, restrictor plates, a whole new different package that will hopefully uh, help make this race a little bit more entertaining. This race has been very dry the last few seasons. Uh, we know what, what this package is on a mile-and-a-half tracks. What are your thoughts, John, on this, on this move? Is this something we can see towards the future? I mean, I know we saw it in Xfinity in, in Indianapolis last year, uh, and it produced some decent passing. Will we see the same thing here at Charlotte? What are your thoughts for the All-Star race in the new format uh, at, at Charlotte Motor Speedway? Um, it's really weird. I had a buddy of mine who doesn't really follow racing that much actually talked to me this week and said, you know, NASCAR, it seems just keeps shooting themselves in the foot. This is another toe. The last time NASCAR put a restrictor plate on a cup car on somewhere other than Daytona and Talladega, Jeff Burton led 300 laps and won the race at New Hampshire after, uh, we lost Kenny Irwin and, Kyle, uh, Adam Petty in the same year. So they put a restrictor plate on at New Hampshire. That's the only place we've ever run a restrictor plate in the cup series other than Daytona and Talladega. Here's the thing at Daytona and Talladega, you cannot pass without somebody helping you. And if you bump draft on somewhere other than the straightaway, you have a pretty good chance going in the wall. How much of Charlotte Motor Speedway is straight? And how many, you put these guys with a million dollars to win on the line, and there's going to be somebody whose head goes straight to mush, and they think they're going to bump draft the whole way, and they're going to take out the whole field in the middle of the front stretch. I mean, I, I, what I can picture out of this thing, you remember the year that, they started the all-star race and between the green flag dropping and them hitting turn one, a shower ran in and half the field plowed into the turn one wall. Yes, I see is. that I for was... this race. Yeah, it'll be wild. 
I mean, um, you know, we've seen the all-star races get crazy to start with. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, you, you talk about that one. That was just a kind of a, a isolated incident with the uh, with the rain, and they let them bring out the backup cars, if you remember, which was kind of crazy. But, uh, you know, I remember the Open a few years ago, while I'm Montoya wreck, so got to have to feel in the Open. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's an exciting night, and drivers get a little anxious, I believe, and, and things happen like that. But my thing is, there's a couple of things here. One, I think this is an idea coming from Monster Energy. Um, I think this is a, a sponsor that, you know, wants to spice up the competition a little bit. They're a little bit of an aggressive sponsor, and they're looking at it saying, how can we get this all-star race unique and special and get this race to where it was a bunch of years ago? Um, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever get it back to where it was a bunch of years ago, and I'll explain that in a little bit, but I think it came from Monster Energy. Uh, I think that that's where this idea came from. NASCAR said, okay, we're going to look at it, and we're going to try and put it into what we think is a – you know, the all-star race, and I'm, I'm open for change. I, I think what we've had it on a package in a mile and a half the last few years has been terrible. I'm open for change, but I'm open for change without the restrictor plates. You know, to me, this is a little different than what we see on, on Tal- Daytona and Talladega, but restrictor plates are restrictor plates, and it's going to require drafting, and they're going to be in big packs, and like you said, you know, one mistake takes out 10 cars. You know, there could be five cars at the end of this race run. Um, I'm not sure that's a great thing. So at the end of the and, – and they're going to say, well, you know, we didn't see that at Indianapolis. Indianapolis is a two-mile track. It's a flat track. Um, you know, with bankings and all that kind of stuff, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But, man, you know, I, I still want to work on this package. But whatever happened to the days of – and maybe it's the rules. And maybe we, we're too tight on the rules now. But whatever happened to the days of if you worked on your race car where you could work on your race car and make it better throughout the night, and whoever had the best race car and the best driver of that night and the best team of that night won. Now it's, it's sort of like luck. We, we talk about the restricted plates all the time, the restricted plate tracks all the time, and say you need to have a lot of luck to win there. Now we're going to put it in there and say, well, they told, well Charlotte, we're going to add in luck there as well. Now racing is always about luck, but I think you're increasing the luck at winning the all-star race. To me, I love the fact that you know when you look back at the sport 10, 20 years ago, where you could work on your car throughout the night. You could get it better throughout the night. You could get better race teams. And, you know, if your car was an 11th place car, you can work on it and make adjustments and make it a a 5th, 6th place car. I like that. Um, And I miss that. I think that's something missing from this sport because the rules are so tight. This is, to me, is a a something saying, like, we're going to keep the rules the way we are. We don't care what anybody says. And we're going to put restrictor plates on it and hope that it fixes the issue. Well, I'm I'm not sure Monster Energy is behind this one. And reason being, Monster Energy wants to be hair on fire fast. I mean, you know, everything Monster wants to be is pushing the envelope and all that good stuff. Restrictor plate is what it is. It restricts. So you're not pushing the envelope. Steve O'Donnell said when they announced this thing today, it should reduce the horsepower by 400. And Denny Lap qualif- Denny Hamlin qualified on the pole at the fo- in the fall race at Charlotte last year with a speed of 191.5. O'Donnell thinks it should drop 15 miles an hour. So okay, yeah, we've ju- we've we've heard everybody say to make it more competitive, you need to slow the cars down. 
okay, so when when they slow the cars down after they start going 175, they're going to end up going 130. It's going to be like watching them go around Richmond at the end of the night. I mean, this is supposed to be the all-star race. It's supposed to be the most challenging thing they have. I still say if they want to do it right, I mean, the aero ducts to make the uh, bigger wake behind the car and help bring it up at a closer rate, that, that might be a good thing. But that damn restrictor plate, there's nothing good that comes from a restrictor plate. Nothing. There's going to be a pileup. There's a good chance somebody could get hurt. And it could end up the biggest egg in the face of NASCAR since the Indianapolis tire debacle a few years ago. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Talking circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you tonight, talking about the All Star Race, the new, I guess, rule package at the All Star Race. There's also a new format. They've they've uh, given us one more segment in the All Star Race, uh, a thirty lap segment, then it's two twenty lap segments and a ten lap segment. So now four segments. Um, the rules are the same to get into the race. We're going to have, you know, three stage winners from the open get into the race as well. Um, it, again, I'm okay with making a change, and, but I just think this is sort of in a, in a direction where the fans don't really want to see. We want to see the rules open a little At least I do. And I know you're probably in the same boat here, John. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but where we want to see the rules open to where give these teams some options. Um, I, I think everybody's pretty much in agreement. When you talk to old school fans, they say the rules are too, you know, regulated. Everything, everything's too regulated nowadays. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure this is a step in the right direction, but we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, and maybe it's just the fact that they're in the media and they're afraid to, you know, say anything bad because they get scrutinized every time they do. A lot of people in the media, a lot of race fans are saying, a lot of racing people are saying this could be a good thing. We'll see. This, you know, I'm going to go in there with an open mind, but I hope it's not what we saw at Indianap- or at uh, New Hampshire, and it's more what we saw at Indianapolis. But these are two completely different racetracks. But my fear with this is too here, John. You know, let's say this works, okay? And people and people rant and rave about it, which they probably will because we rant and rave about everything nowadays that NASCAR does. It seems like. Um, let Let's say they, that NASCAR says, okay. This worked at the mile and a half tracks. We're going to put it in at uh, every track that's a mile or more, over a mile. So it wouldn't work at New Hampshire and Dover, but we're going to put it in at Pocono, Indianapolis, all the mile and a half tracks, all the two-mile tracks. Will it get to a point where you sit there and you say, everything looks the same now? Everything looks the same? Or, you know, And is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? What are your thoughts? Uh it was really interesting when you talk about that. Um, as we're talking about the format quick before we get to where uh, you just asked about, I love the fact that none of the stages can end under caution, which is going to just make you and Lee and Virginia go nuts because there's going to be a pileup at the end of every segment just because somebody's trying to get themselves into the, into the open or get themselves um, the money that goes with it. So Monday on Sirius XM NASCAR radio with Moody in the afternoon, Kyle Busch was on. And one of the things he, he was asked was um, the cost of racing and about the fact that composite bodies are starting to work their way into the truck series and work their way into the Xfinity series. And there's rumor of the composite body 
working its way into the Cup Series. And Kyle Busch said something that was pretty darn remarkable. He said, you know, everybody's been complaining about cost and all this stuff, and they're trying to make it so it evens up the field because they were also asking about the air guns, but that the team owners wanted a standard gun because Joe Gibbs Racing put a hell of a lot of money in to create this gun that was turning 7,000 RPMs more than anything else. And Kyle Busch said, you know, I think the same teams that were running in the front for the last five years are still the same teams running in the front this year. And the same teams have been running in the pack in the back of the pack are the same teams this year running into the back of the pack. He says, we've done all this stuff to try to change and save money and all that stuff. And the competition in reality hasn't changed. The same teams are up front and the same teams are in the back. It's a very, very good point. Um, and you know, Kyle Petty always says, and, he, and a lot of people criticize what he says, but he's right when he says, you know, the haves are always going to be the haves, and the have-nots are always going to be the have-nots, you know, something to that nature. And he's pretty right on that. You know, I think for the most part, you know, we can try and you can try to make it to where the little teams can, can get some kind of advantage. But right now we've sort of, you know, up the creek without a paddle, I guess you can say, with, with the multi-car operations and just how dominant they are. You know, um, you're, you look at, at the multi-car operations and the big-time, big-time teams, the teams that own everything. And, and I'm talking about, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing has a team, four teams in Cup, you know, three teams in Xfinity, yada, yada, yada. Um, same thing with, with Stuart Haas, we're seeing them venture into the Xfinity Series. You're seeing Team Penske, they got a, a big-time Xfinity Series ride. So the teams that, that sort of own everything are the ones that are going to win races. You know, the front-run motorsports of the world, the – Rich Petty Motorsports of the world, the, um, you know, JTG Dollary Racing, the teams that buy chassis and engines from teams, you hardly see them uh, go up and, and win a lot of races. Spiritual Racing is an outlier. They got a really good deal with Joe Giz Racing. They got a really good crew chief with Cole Pern, I think that, and, and a really good driver with Martin Truex Jr. I think that is a, an anomaly for all those teams that buy engines and buy chassis. Um, so at the end of the day, I think, that is true, um, and we look at restricted play tracks, and I always say this, and this is true. When you look at restricted play tracks, anybody can win, and I miss that, you know, with racing where, you know, 1996, Hus Strickland, and a team that was a solo cooperation and a team that never really ran up front in the 1990s was, had a chance to win the Southern 500 against Jeff Gordon and Hendrick Motorsports. They didn't. They finished second, but they gave it a great, great try. You don't see that anymore. Um, and I think it's just because the rules are so tight and the teams outspend people, especially engineering. Engineering has become such a huge part of their sport now that these teams have spent so much money on the engineering side, the big teams, that's where they're getting all the, all the, the advantage from. And uh, the little teams can't keep up with that. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, Clayton. I think um, and one of the things, whenever you think about it, we – we say about we want them to open up the rule book and allow them to do more or whatever. But then in the same sentence, we gripe that there's too much engineering in the sport. So the teams that have the big budgets to do all the engineering and stuff like the Joe Gibbs, the Roger Penske's, the Rick Hendricks, now the Stuart Hosses, they're just going to keep getting bigger and bigger because the more engineering budget, 
that you can put in because if you open up the rules, especially look at Stuart Haas. If you open up the rule book on the chassis, who built the most um, illegal, legal gray area chassis in the history of the sport? Rex Stump. He built uh, the T-Rex car for Gordon in the, in the Winston back in the day. If you put that kind of rule in and you allow so much gray area, Rex Stump's going to kick you. You're going to pay dearly because that guy is one of the most innovative son of a guns you ever ran into. No matter what, we're, I mean, Cal Petty had it right, like you said. The haves are going to have, the have-nots are never going to have. And that's the way it's going to be. I think there's too much with this, especially with this all-star race. There are too many things that have complete mess up about it. I'm bitching, screaming, and moaning. How much are they going to have to spend to create these cars for this one race that doesn't count? Because they've got to completely aerodynamically change the things work the way the things work because of the air that's going to come in. They're going to have to put restrictor plates on. So that uh, Doug Yates and um, Hendrick and ECR engines, all the engine builders are going to have to go crazy trying to find a way to get restrictor, get that extra one horsepower that's going to come out with the seven eighth restrictor plate on there. There is going to be more money spent on this one race than it's ever worth being a part of. It's going to be very interesting, no doubt about it. I think we're going to have to wait and see. You know, it's, it's going to come up here in May in, in, in about a month and a half, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes about because I think if it works, it's something that NASCAR is going to look at, to put, like I said, to put into every racetrack above a mile. And, uh, again, I'm not sure that's a good thing, but um, it's just something to keep an eye on here as the sport goes on. Well, the thing is, also, Clayton, Clayton, while we're on that, if it works, it's one race. It's one race. It's not like it's half a season or something. And if you remember right, I think it was, what, three years ago, whenever the first year they went to the Gen 6 car. It was the best racing we had in a long, long time. The first year they got rid of the COT and came to the Gen 6. Because it had all the horsepower, and they let them do, I mean, the Gen 6 was the Gen 6. It was a great batch of racing. But then they, okay, we got to slow these cars down. So they took away the horsepower, and they put a tapered spacer on these cars like they have on the Xfinity Series. It's not as big, but there's a tapered spacer in these things. And once they took the downforce and the horsepower away, the racing actually got worse. Yeah. The first and year with the Gen 6 car. The worst part about the package in a mile and a half tracks is that the leader gets out in the clean air and nobody can pass him. You know, I think for the most part, everybody's pretty much in agreement to where, you know, in the middle of the race, we'd like to see a little bit more passing there, but that's not horrible. I mean, it's, it's not great, but it's not, the worst part about this package is when the leader gets out in front, goodbye. Uh, it's very hard to catch him, catch him. And, and, uh, I think if we what we need to focus on is is to make that you know the second place car um, be able to catch the leaders and I think what we look what that when that needs to happen is you know make these cars fall off during run make this handling 
on older tires completely different than what it was what it is on newer tires and give these teams a lot more options than what they have. I think that's the, that's the way we need to go. Um, I don't know. I don't think this is towards that at all. I think it's sort of towards the opposite direction. Um, but we'll see. You know, again, it, it's going to be wild to see how it turns out here uh, in the all-star race. 917-889-8280, Talking Circles, Clayton Cotto, John Harlow. Other news of the day, John, interesting news out of Hendrick Motorsports today. Chase Elliott's crew chief, Chat, uh, Alan Gustafson, has been suspended for two races, has been fined, and the team lost 20 driver and owner points for a problem with a broken window brace at the end of Sunday's race at Texas Motor Speedway. Um, this drops Elliott from where he is currently, which, or where he was prior to the penalty, 15th to 18th in the standings. Now, he also, the team also received a 25-point penalty for a suspension issue after Phoenix. So if you add 45 points to, to Chase Elliott, he would move from 18th to 13th in the standings. This is a bigger deal than what people think, John. And I'm not saying Ch- uh, Alan Gustafson being suspended is that big of a deal. I don't think a crew chief being suspended anymore is that big of a deal because of the technology we have. He can hook up to a computer, see exactly what the car is doing from his house, uh, give his notes, give his ideas, give his thoughts, um, by looking at a computer screen, talking to people over the phone, yada, yada, yada. But I think what really hurts Chase Elliott here is the points because they're not running great this year, Hendrick Motorsports. We've made that clear. You know, Chase has shown some decent signs, but he's had a couple of wrecks early on in the year. That's put him back into points. But he hasn't won a race yet in his career. And Martin Truex Jr. proved that you want as many bonus points as you possibly can to get into the, to the playoffs because – they carry on through each round, and it'll help you through each round. And right now, Chase Elliott is 18th in the standings. With the way that nine car has been running and the way Hendrick Motorsports has been performing this year, they're going to need a lot of help to get into the top ten. They might get a couple of wins through the, through the rest of the regular season. We're not sure about that. They might get those six points. You know, I could totally see Chevrolet, you know, turning the corner on this, on this Chevrolet Camaro and saying, hey – uh, we're going to win some races by the time September comes around. But um, I'm not sure they're good enough in the near future to gain the amount of points they need to get to the top ten and get additional bonus points for the playoffs. I think that's what hurts them right now is the fact that they're going to be behind the eight ball when the playoffs start. And if you're a Chase Elliott fan and you're a fan of Hendrick Motorsports and you're a fan of this nine team and you want him to win the championship, this is a bigger deal that he's lost 45 points because he won't get those bonus points to get into the playoffs. I think that is a huge, huge factor here for this nine team. I think if you really look at it, he's he, Chase Elliott has been penalized more than a race. It's 40 points to win. He's been penalized 45 yes. points this season. So he's lost more than an entire race to penalties. Um, I also think it's, a sort of a he doth protest too loudly because if you remember when Harvick's window brace broke at Las Vegas, who was screaming and hollering more than anybody? Alan Gustafson and Chase Elliott. And guess what? Turn around. Karma is a bitch, babe. And you have been karmaized. I made that word up. Um, <laughs> I don't, I think it's just typical karma coming back to bite somebody in the tuchus. Um, it's going to be a tough for Chase Elliott. Um, Hendrick Motorsports has struggled all year. 
and Chase Elliott has been the lead dog in that struggling team. He's been the most consistent of the bunch. Take away his couple wrecks, and he was running really good in both times he got wrecked. But he's been the leader in the pack, and he's had to give up a whole race. Now he's 18th in points again. He had to come back from whenever he was down 25 points and fought his way into the top 16, and it took him a few races to do it. Now he's back in 18th again. They can't afford another penalty this year. And I'm wondering when NASCAR is going to say three strikes and you're out because that's two L1 penalties on this team. And that's where NASCAR is really drawing the line. I'm wondering when it's going to be three strikes and you're out because these L1 penalties are NASCAR's version of um, it's almost, it's, getting to the point where it's not far. You remember the two things you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to play it. I mean, three things. You're not allowed to play the fuel. You're not allowed to play the tires. You're not allowed to play the size of the engine. Two L1 penalties, you get three. That's almost like you're borderline playing with the fuel or the tires. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I thought something else I find interesting. You remember when uh, Kevin Harvick received his penalty? Um, his car chief was suspended for two races. Chase Elliott at Phoenix, when he had a suspension issue, his car chief was suspended for two races. Now with Alan Gustafson, the crew chief, suspended for two races, and, the, and Hendrick Motorsports has announced they will not appeal this penalty, and Kenny Francis, who was the crew chief of uh, Casey Kane for all those years, will be the interim crew chief for these two races at, at Bristol and Richmond for the uh, number nine team. But I find that interesting. you find that interesting that it's Gustafson, the crew chief? You know, NASCAR's reasoning when they suspended the car chiefs last time was the fact that the crew chiefs really don't have much to do with the race car anymore. They're sort of the team leader, quote-unquote, and the car chiefs have more to do with the car, with the setup of the race car. But yet, the same exact penalty happens for Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick. Harvick gets his car chief suspended. Elliott gets his crew chief suspended. Um, Why do you think that is? I think it's strike two. I think the first one, they suspended the car chief. I think the second L1 penalty, you have to take the lead dog out. I mean, and they've been saying about, it's interesting, they let the crew chief stay, and they send the car chief packing. Well, I'll tell you, to me, during the practice and everything like that, the car chief is the guy you need because he's the one working on the setups and everything. But once the race starts... The crew chief does play a hell of a big role because that's the voice of comfort that the driver has in their ear. That's the guy who says, we're going to take two, we're going to take four, we're going to put this adjustment in, we're going to put that adjustment in. And that's what makes the driver feel comfortable. I think the first strike was, I mean, the first penalty your car chief goes, I think this is the second L1 penalty. I think they had to go for the top dog and take out Alan Gustafson because the car chief's already been suspended two races. He barely got back in, and they had another one. Another thing happened to them. Right. So I think they had to go with Alan Gustafson this time. And I don't know what happens if they do a, a third L1 penalty. I don't know if there is a um, anything in the rule book that says three penalties and this happens to you. I mean, it's just borderline completely crazy that a team has been suspended a whole race. The only one who's ever come close to this much of a 
losing points of the season was Michael Waltrip the first year with the Toyota. His crew chief put the uh, stuff in the intake manifold. The jet fuel in the intake manifold. They lost 100 points. It wasn't even a whole race, but they lost 100 points. These guys have lost a whole race. Yeah, it's been big. It's huge. And I'm telling you, it's huge. And I think those bonus points are going to come back that they don't have those from being in the top 10 in points is going to come back and really bite them. Um, I'm curious to see how, you know, Henry uh, Borgworth feels about this move. You know, about this, I, I think there's no doubt teams are doing this on purpose. I saw a um, picture on Reddit, and it's a legit picture of Jamie McMurray's number one car with the window doing the exact same thing uh, that we saw Kevin Harvick's car on Reddit, and we've seen a Chase Elliott's car this week, but it was the front windshield instead of the rear windshield. Um, and now his car was taking back to the R&D center, so I don't know if NASCAR had found anything with that car. But I find that interesting that teams are, are looking for every little tiny bit of gray area to play with, and they're doing it. Now, it's the first time we're seeing this with the windshield. Last year we saw it a little bit. You know, there's some pictures pulled from last year as well that the windows did the same thing. Um, but NASCAR is starting to catch on. But to me, the Gustafson thing suspended. Why not suspend the crew chief to begin with? You know, if you want to come down really hard and the crew chief is that big of a, of a factor, why not suspend the crew chief? Like you always have. Suspend the crew chief from the beginning. If the crew chief is that such, such an essential part of the team, you should suspend them from an L1 penalty from the beginning. I don't know why we're being light with the first L1 penalty. To me, that doesn't make any sense. To me, how I would do it would... Alan Gustafson, you would have lost him for two races, and then you would have lost him for two races again, potentially more, because he probably would have been on probation for what happened. Although they're taking probation completely away, to me, it, it just – I don't understand the car chief, crew chief thing. Uh, I don't get it. Just suspend the crew chief. If, if the, like what you're saying – and I think you're right, John. I think you brought up some great points. If what you're saying is that the crew chief is more valuable than the car chief, then why not suspend the crew chief? To begin with, it doesn't make sense to me. That's what drives me crazy. But to get back to the penalty, do you think teams are doing this intentionally, or do you think this is just something that happens with these race cars with the air and stuff like that? Oh, if I remember right, I heard somewhere on Sirius XM, or um, we heard it from Lee in Virginia or somebody, um, with the new system that they have, the Hawkeye system they're using on the um, – on the cars for inspection, the one point that is not showing up or has anything they have to worry about is the front and rear windshield. Everything that has some sort of sheet metal is involved in the um, inspection that they're doing, but the windows aren't, and they're trying to find wiggle room in it. I mean, you give you give them a gray area. And every crew chief that's worth his salt is going to do everything to milk as much out of that gray area as they can, because that's what they're paid for. They're paid to win races. And if everybody is supposed to be exactly the same, you have to find that area where you can exploit something. Because if you put 40 cars out there, they're going to qualify within four hundredths of a second of each other. You're just going to have follow the leader because everybody's running the same speed and nobody can pass each other. So well, it's going to be a boring race. I think that's, 
Yeah, I think that's what, pretty much what we have now. <laughs> so no matter what, you know, I mean, and, the, they're trying to find a way because at the end of the day, everybody's goal is to stink up the show. What Harvick mm-hmm. did with his three wins, especially the Atlanta win, I mean, they stunk up the show and they were damn proud of it because that's what they're supposed to do. You want to go out there and you want to dominate. You want to beat everybody as bad as you can. And you don't have to worry about being close to somebody or whether a um, tenth of a second on pit road is going to cost you five spots. You want to be able to put the best car out there and do what you can to win. I think what they really need to do is take away the engineering, have the template exactly as the street car would be, because, I mean, they want to make it look as much like the streetcar as they can. They want to try to make it look like the Camry. They want to try to make it look like the uh, Camaro. And they want to try to make it look like the Focus or the Fusion. But they're, you know, the cars look nothing like them whenever they go through the thing. They should have the same body specs as the streetcar and then see how it goes. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero Clayton Coldwell John Harlow here with you tonight. Did I lose you, Clayton? Is um, here coming up at Richmond and Bristol. Um, so talking circles tonight, Clayton Coldwell John Harlow. A couple of interest, other interesting parts here. I think one of them is the fact that NASCAR took more cars back to the R&D center. Um, I, you know, Bob Pockris tweeted this week that six cars went back to the R&D center instead of three. Jim McMurray, it was Jim McMurray, Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, and that's where they found the penalty, Kyle Busch, um, Eric Jones, and Joey Logano's cars were taken back to the R&D center. It's interesting, John, that, uh, you know, with a, I think this race, with the way everything was happening with the pit guns, this race was sort of a race that track position meant so much, and every, you know, one thousandth of a second meant so much. And it was interesting that teams were pushing the limits, and I think NASCAR sort of caught on to that and brought six cars to the R&D Center. What are your thoughts? Well, originally they announced the reason they took six cars back to the R&D Center was so they could do wind tunnel testing to see how the aerodynamics were on all these cars. And I think that that was the reason they announced that they took six cars back, but, and they always take the winner back too. So you have six plus the winner. Um, and they had every, uh, make of manufacturer was represented. So you had that as a, they could test everybody. According she had two Chevys in uh, chase Elliott, Jamie McMurray, you had two Fords in Logano and Harvick and you had, Eric Jones and Kyle Busch with the Toyotas. So there's your six cars. So you have two wind tunnels of each of them to find out how they're doing aerodynamically. The R&D center. But in reality, I mean, we've said it all along, and you've heard half the announcers say it all along. If you tore down all 37 or 38, however many show up this week, you turned out, tear down every one of those cars, you could penalize somebody and you probably penalize five to 10 cars every week because they're trying to find that gray area or they're 
and they're overstepping yeah. the area and they get into the red. But it's just one of those things that it's going to – until they find a way to take half the engineering out of this sport, it's not going to get any better. It's just going to keep getting worse. And the funny part is there was an article this week that I saw. It's like IndyCar is starting to get more traction because everybody's doing the right thing with the IndyCar. You don't hear anything about penalties midweek. You hear about competitive racing. You hear about the wins. You hear about the driver who won. But NASCAR, all you're hearing about, crew chief suspension. We have a we have a title sponsor who's going to be here next year, but then we're going to try some new model for the next one. Um, you hear people complaining about the same race over and over, and then we're going to try this gimmick for the all-star race. I don't know. It's almost like it, it feels like if the NFL would say, okay, we're going to go to three downs for two games this year and play Canadian football rules to see if it makes it more competitive. Yeah. And that is a good point. I, I you know, and I don't want to venture off too far, but um, it is a good point. I think at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things we can change. There's no doubt about that. And I think um, you're right that, I think we just we measure these cars too close. I think that's part part of the big problem is that it's just I don't like the fact that if you're one seventeenth of an inch off, that you know you get a two race suspension and whatnot, um, or a window brace breaks. But that's the way it goes right now, and um, you know until it changes, that's that's how NASCAR has to rule it. Um, I, I do I would like to see definitely some different rule changes and open up the rule books as I've been stating here for pretty much all night. 917-889-8280. You talked earlier about Monster Energy returning, John, and they will return for the 2019 season. Um, It was good news for NASCAR because, you know, we're on April 10th, they announced this, and we're getting late in the going here, and you're sitting there going, are we going to have a title sponsor next year? Uh, If Monster Energy doesn't return, what title sponsor can we go find uh, if we don't have one? But they've announced they will return for 2019. But also announced in that were a couple other things. It's highly unlikely, quote-unquote, that the company will continue their partnership with NASCAR past the 2019 season. And NASCAR plans to change its business model for the 2020 season. They're going to have multiple sponsors that will tie in with, uh, the TV, with the tracks, TV networks, and the sanctioning body. Now, I'm sure we're going to hear much, much more about the new business model in 2020 as the year goes on and as next year goes on. Um, interesting how they're going to change that. But the first part of this, John, is, is Monster Energy. Coming back for next season but not returning for 2019, what do you think that shows for NASCAR? Um, and do you think if, if NASCAR wanted to stick with the, with the same business model that they've had uh, for the last 45 years, that Monster Energy would be back past in 2019? What are your thoughts? Well, I think one of the one of the things that NASCAR is looking at is they're not finding that sponsor who's going to come back and back up the Brinks truck and fill up the coffers like they had with R.J. Reynolds and what they had with Nextel and Sprint. Sprint was paying, uh, according to Bob Brockers' article about this, between fifty and seventy-five million a year to be the title sponsor for NASCAR for the Cup Series, and twenty million of that went into the points fund. Monster Energy paid $20 million a year for the first two years, and they had the um, ability to extend it. Now, 
I don't know if it's Monster Energy saying wound up going to the point where it's like, yeah, we're seeing a great investment on our point and all that stuff, which they have. Monster Energy has seen a uptick in their sales since they started sponsoring NASCAR. But the thing is, I wonder if NASCAR spent this whole four months where Monster ask, kept asking for extension and extension. I think NASCAR was begging Monster to say, hey, we don't know what we're going to – we don't have a plan. We need you for next year, and we can create this next plan for 2020 or something, but we can't – we need you next year. What bothers me, and it just keeps going back to the business model whenever – um, Pockers put that story out a couple weeks ago about the future of ownership. And he said about Casey Kane was asking for a great ownership on Casey Kane's car. And they wanted $660,000 per race to be the uh, primary sponsor of the five car, which was barely made to playoffs last year. So it was about a 15th to 20th place car on a regular basis. And when they did the average of how much Casey Kane earned per race back whenever the last year that NASCAR printed out and told everybody how much everybody won, the average winnings of Casey Kane per week was $175,000. So they're looking at almost trying to get three times plus the investment in one race and they're going to win from the points fund or from the, from the tracks and everything. So it's crazy how bad this business model for NASCAR is when you have a billion dollar TV contract and 65% of that money goes to the tracks, which means Bruton Smith gets a pile of money and the France family gets a pile of money. 25% goes to the teams and 10% goes to NASCAR. So that means more money for the France family. And everybody has to go out and beg, borrow, steal to get every bit of sponsorship they can on the car. Ron Devine, as much of a mess as he is, supposedly poured $35 million of his own money to go bankrupt. Hello, NASCAR. This is Houston. You have a huge freaking problem. And they're probably trying to address this with 2020 and marry things up to the tracks and the sponsor and the TV deal and everything. But where's that money going to the owner's hands where they could continue to put a product on the track that's worth people watching? Because you look at Texas this weekend. Now, granted, the weather had something to do with it because Texas people aren't used to going out in 45, 55-degree weather. But there were a hell of a lot more empty bleachers than there were seats in that track. So this, the attendance figures – isn't just Atlanta, isn't just um, California, isn't just the smaller tracks that people, I mean, like Rockingham used to be. That attendance problem is starting to go everywhere. Vegas wasn't sold out. Um, Texas usually does really good at trying to sell out. They didn't do squat. The only sellout they've had has been Daytona, and they get that at the last minute. And you were there, Clayton. I bet you there were a few empty bleachers near you, even though it was con- con- considered a sellout. Yeah, no doubt. And it's part of the reason I think why they're trying to change the business model is that and, – and I, I'll say this. You know, part of the reason why they're going to, to, to talk about something that we talked about earlier, 
why they're changing Charlotte Motor Speedway, the race at the All-Star Race, to change that whole rule package. Is I do think they realize they have a problem and that, the, that people generally aren't interested in the racing anymore, especially in the mile-and-a-half tracks. Um, and that's a, a whole subject we can get into of why we run in the mile-and-a-half tracks, why we don't run in more short tracks, yada, yada, yada. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think they're looking at it saying, how can we get more income into this sport? Let's combine it. You know, I remember last year when I went to the, you, you talked about me going to Daytona. I go to Daytona every year, and I remember when Monster Energy came into the sport last year. I took a picture of me sitting on the front stretch, and I just took a picture of the front stretch, and I said, sent it to a, friend, a mutual friend of ours, and I said, if I had to ask you which sponsor, by just sitting where I am sitting, sponsor is the one that, donate, that puts the most money into the sport, which at the time obviously was Monster Energy. What would you tell me? By just looking at the branding, at what I'm looking at in this picture, what would you tell me? And he's like, I couldn't tell you because I don't know. So that's a problem, that I could take a picture of the whole racetrack, and you have no idea what company sponsors the sport. That's bad. Now, this year it's gotten a little bit better. If you've noticed, the, the grass area – it's a much bigger section. Instead of just having the symbol, which if you remember when Sprint was in the uh, in the sport, they used to have the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series symbol, that infamous symbol that we all see just sitting in the grass area. Now if you look at it, and this has just happened here, I believe in 2018 and maybe even towards the end of 2017, it's a big, huge black section of grass that's got Monster Energy, NASCAR Cups. It's a much bigger section, much more brand recognition there. Uh, they've got their own pit stall now with the Monster Energy thing draped over the wall. There's much more they can do. And I think these racetracks are a little reluctant to do this because I think they look at it and say, well, that's advertising space. That's our advertising space. Why would we, you know, we're not really seeing the money from Monster Energy. That's not really helping us as much as it's helping NASCAR. As a racetrack, i got to look out for myself. i got to fend for myself here. I have to only so much advertising space, why would I donate to NASCAR and Monster Energy when I can sell that to local companies and companies that are willing to sponsor that, and it goes into my pocket? So I think what NASCAR is trying to do here with this, and, and TV deals included in this, TV networks are included in this, is get everybody working in the same level. Get everybody, everybody on the same page where, hey, if I promote Monster Energy, not only is it helping NASCAR, it's helping me because I'm getting some money from Monster Energy to promote them. It's helping the TV networks who are going to put sponsor, uh, t- uh, more you know, um, advertising for Monster Energy on their TV screen, whether that's through commercials, whether that's through graphics, etc. So I think this is more of, a, of an idea of let's all work together and bring the sponsors. Now, there's going to be multiple sponsors, whether it's Monster Energy, one sponsor, then you have maybe Credit One Bank or something like that another sponsor, and let's say um, you know, Goodyear, the other sponsor, you might see four or five companies throughout a racetrack, throughout a week, really, really promoted throughout the race weekend because those are the big five companies that are really stepping up and helping out NASCAR, and you're going to see it on TV, and you're going to notice those sponsors more on TV, you're going to notice them at the racetrack more. To me, that's a step in the right direction because, again, everybody's sort of looking for their same thing. Everybody's looking out for themselves, which isn't a bad thing in business. But as a sport of NASCAR, if Sp- Sprint's paying you $70 million, you want to know 
what company is paying you $70 million when you go to the racetrack? And for years, I felt it was hard for them to, uh, to really show that um, at the racetrack because the racetracks were selling that, you know, price, that priceless real estate to other companies. Well, one of the things you think about when it comes to this as well, last year, whenever at the beginning of the season, when um, Monster first took over the title sponsorship, Fox would call it the NASCAR Cup Series. They would not call it the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series for the first few weeks. And part of it's that Monster Energy doesn't do TV ads. Fox is looking at it. It's like, hey, we're giving away free time. Monster could be paying. Sprint paid. RJ Reynolds paid. Why should we give away the words Monster Energy to people who are not buying commercials on our on our network? I think one of the things you're also looking at when it comes to this is when is uh, whatever you're saying about advertising. When Sprint was in, the walls were yellow because Sprint has yellow and black as their colors. So a lot of times the walls on the track were yellow. Same with RJR. Whenever RJ Reynolds was in there and they were talking to the uh, guy from NASCAR who signed the deal with Monster and announced the extension, um, he said there isn't enough red paint if RJ Reynolds were to come back again. Because you looked every paint, there was red on every wall, no matter where you went. It was red and white all over the place. It was like a checkerboard. And Monster, it took them a while to get their activation going because, hell, they didn't sign the deal to the banquet. So December's when things were kicking in, and they were still trying to get things put together. And it's really tough to build a graphics package and a multimedia, multi-market ad campaign in less than 60 days, which is what about that's just about what they had before they started racing in Daytona. I think going forward. I think whoever's going to be the new chairman of the RTA, if Rob, Rob Kaufman does back away, um, whoever that person is, has got to have some steel balls going in there because the owners are going to get to the point where they're going to say, hey, where's the money for us? Because they're not, good point. They're not going to sit back and say, look, we're paying all this money. Just, just think about it. The drivers have to pay a licensing fee. The owners have to pay for every hard card that their team has. The owners have to pay an entry fee for every vehicle. The owners have to pay an inspection fee. The owners have to buy the tires from Goodyear. And then they're building the cars and everything that goes with it. The owners are paying a ton of money to be able to compete in this thing before they win $1. NASCAR is just sitting back collecting money and it just, the owners have to step up and say, Hey, we need a piece of this. Either we become partners because I mean, you hear all you hear is NASCAR saying, well, the new model, we're looking at taking care of the tracks, the TV partners and NASCAR. Nowhere in there was the car owners who provide the product. NASCAR and until you take care of the people who provide you the product, your product is going to suck. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I just think what, and again, we're going to hear more about what this entails, what the new, uh, what they're what they're calling 
a sponsorship, a new um, uh, business model, they're calling it, in 2020. We're going to hear more about it, I guarantee you. Um, you know, as the, as the years goes on here, as 2018 goes on, as 2019 goes on, as far as what it totally entails, um, it sounds like, and here's what my initial concern was, was that we were going to have, you know, the uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken NASCAR um, Taco Bell Cup Series presented by Coca-Cola. That's what I was afraid we were going to have. Um, multiple sponsors listed in the Cup Series. It sounds like it's just going to be NASCAR Cup Series, um, and maybe it's going to be presented by other companies. I'm not sure how they're going to do this. Again, I think what we're looking at is get everybody working on the same page and working with the same companies to promote the companies that really help the sport. Um, you know, and not that, you know, for example, it drives me crazy when I look at a sponsor, go sponsor and put all this money into the TV deal at NASCAR and don't, you know, put money onto the, any of the race teams, put money in any of the racetracks, put money in anything else because it's like, well, NBC's, you know, I understand that they're helping the sport out a lot, but I, I care about other parts of the sport. And NBC's, you know, um, really pumping up the sponsor, and it might be a competitor against somebody who's big into NASCAR. You know, let's say it was Red Bull, so we want to spend a lot of money. And Monster Energy, now, obviously, that's a bad example because Monster Energy might be able to block that stuff. But I'm just saying, you know, that to me is, is kind of where we have to sort of work on the same page if that stuff happens. I'm a 7889 Talking Circles. Clayton Cole, John Harlow here with you, John. I want to get to Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. Food City 500, um, a, a, a race that – one of the few short track races of the season, a race that I'm looking forward to. A couple of interesting notes about it. One is they're going to bring the PJ1 back, the, the sticky stuff on the bottom of the racetrack. I don't think it's going to be as high as it was last year, if I recall correctly but they're still going to bring it back to make the bottom lane come uh, in a little bit better. So what are your thoughts on this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway and the sticky stuff? Does that stuff work? Is it a good thing that NASCAR tries to do this thing at Bristol Motor Speedway? Really, it's, it's SMI who's really behind it. We saw it last weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, uh, they, they used the tire, uh, the, the tire rubber, rubber to get it to, to rubber the, the track in, and now they're putting the sticky stuff in here at Bristol where it seems like SMI is really behind that stuff where ISC is kind of fading away from it. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Does that stuff work? Is it a good thing? What are your thoughts? Well, one of the things I listened to Kyle Busch saying about in his interview with Moody after winning on Sunday, he interviewed on Monday, and he said he's a big he's a, he's in favor of the PJ1 because he is a bottom feeder when it comes to Bristol. And whenever they – um, reconfigured the track and it became a top groove heavy track. And then they ground it and tried to make it to fo- force everybody down. But middle of the race on, they're all back at the top. Key stuff working. You could have two lanes of traffic and you could pass people on the bottom. And Kyle Bush said, I don't know what it is, but I cannot run anywhere but the bottom at Bristol. And if Kyle Bush can't run anywhere but the bottom of Bristol, you've got a problem. So, it it's, looks like it's something that needs to be done. Um, again, it's one of those things where I don't know where you've ever seen a repave that has worked, they've carried the track other than Homestead, Miami. 
That's the only one I've ever seen where they repaved it, reconfigured it, and it got better. Because every time they've tried to dink with something, Kentucky got worse, Texas got worse, Charlotte got worse, um, Bristol got worse. So it's like the stuff, the tracks were built that way for a reason. When you try to reconfigure it and play with everybody, it ends up making the product worse. So the sticky stuff has done something to help it, which would be nice. I just don't know what's going to do um, by the end of the race. But at least they'll be competitive the first half unless the forecast sticks true what it is already. That it's going to be rain all weekend, so it'll wash the damn stuff off, and we'll be back to the drawing board where everybody will be running up top. Yeah, and it's a temporary fix. You know, somebody brought up a good point, and I forget where it was, but they said, you know, this wears off after – 200 laps you know we don't you can't say okay we're gonna throw a red flag and reapply it and make it six so it works for maybe the first part of the race and the second part of the race um it doesn't really work at all it did, i think you know bristol to me what i loved about bristol not to get on too big of a rant and get off topic here but what i loved about bristol was it was such a unique racetrack the old place and this place now is sort of something we see every, every weekend, where it's a two-lane racetrack. Bristol used to be just a one-lane racetrack, and you had to bump your way out of the way. And people might hate that racing, but it was unique. And I tell you what, they, could, they couldn't sell enough tickets for that place. They had 150,000 seats, and uh, it was sold out for years. That's not the case anymore. Um, but to get on top, let's try to stay on topic here a little bit. What, who do you think is going to be fast this weekend? Bristol's a great racetrack, uh, a short racetrack. Um, it changes the game. It's nice not to see a another aero-dependent racetrack. I get sick and tired of those, especially in the early part of the year. It seems like we go there every weekend. Um, got two good race short tracks coming up with Bristol and Richmond. Who's your favorite here to win at Bristol? Is it Kyle Busch? You talked about him. You know, this new configuration really doesn't fit his style. Who's your who's your favorites to win here this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway? Well, the one thing about Bristol, it, even though it's a short track, it's sort of you have the same kind of luck matters as much as it does at a restrictor plate. Um, I think Kyle Busch is always a threat to win everywhere they go. The way they've been this year, I think Harvick's a threat to win everywhere they've gone. Um, I think Boyer's a threat because he ran great at Martinsville and he's been doing. He's a short track guy to begin with. Um, Kozlowski and Joey Logano both are really good at Bristol. You know who I really think would have a great chance to win if he was able to sit in a car is Matt Kenseth. Matt Kenseth found his way around Bristol really, really well. And I think Denny Hamlin's somebody you choose as a chance to win. But, I mean, this is a track where you say, boy, I wish I had Matt Kenseth in the number 20 car instead of Eric Jones because Eric Jones is going to find a mess in there somewhere because he's still young in the sport and really doesn't know his way around these things. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think a veteran pays off. Somebody I'm going to give as a dark horse pick. I read this stat today, and I thought it was very interesting. Uh, the driver with the best, the active driver with the best average finish at Bristol in the last few races, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Now Stenhouse had a tough year, um, no doubt about that, but he could be somebody to keep an eye on here at Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. We'll be back here after the Food City 500 on Sunday. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Twitter. We'll see you next time on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.